Good morning and welcome to Cross Timber. Psalm 95 begins with, O come, let us sing to the Lord, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. And so it's fitting that when we start our services that we begin in song. It not only gives us a time to welcome one another, but it gives us a time to, uh, to focus our thoughts and attentions on the truth that we are um, glad to be in the house of the Lord, and we're glad that you are here with us this morning. So whether you're in person, um, whether you are watching online, whether you've been seated and ready for a long time, or you're just now finding your way 
into the, the room. We are glad you are here. Um, we encourage you to join in in, in singing, listening, um, reading together. And I'm excited this morning after we sing a few songs, Jeff is going to come and share an opportunity that we have to uh, fellowship with, with those that are younger than ourselves. And we'll hear a couple of testimonies about that. But right now, I um, just want to welcome you to Cross Timber and say we're glad that you are Would you stand and sing with us this morning? You have 
<laughs> I cut a short one.
четыре. So last year, um, I think October was when we started this with the youth. We um, started up a new thing where the youth are going to meet with um, different couples um, in their home, have a meal, play some board games, just trying that out. And we started with the Stanley Life Group. They meet the same nights we meet on Sundays, so we thought this would be really convenient. We did a couple rounds of it. Um, it went really well. And we wanted to offer it up to anyone in the church who would like to participate. So this year, um, maybe every other month, we're not going to do it every month, um, we're going to have a weekend where we choose. Um, this first one is going to be February 25th, um, where any couple that would like to host some youth in their home, or, I mean, you could take them out to eat, it's up to you, um, but host them just for an hour to two, um, hang out, get to know them a little bit better, just trying to make more connections. <coughs> Excuse me for the youth and different people throughout the church, because a lot of times people are like, oh, I know who that is, but you don't really know much about them, right? So we're trying to make those connections a little deeper um, and just have some growth in those areas, like, you know, um, kind of between youth and, and maybe some people they don't normally talk to much. So if you guys are interested, um, we have a sign-up sheet out there in the foyer next to the other stuff, the Valentine's Banquet. Um, with the youth we have, it's about four groups. Um, we pair them up. Um, we can do three. We can put three in each group. So either three to four families who would like to host some youth in your house um, on February 25th. Um, I'll give you more details when, you know, people sign up. I'm not going to go into all the details now. And if you know that you would like to do it, but you can't do February 25th, we'll do it again in a couple months in April. Um, and you can still sign up. There's a, I have one that says February 25th and one that says later for April or whatever. So if you know you're interested, um, and you would like more information from me, go ahead and sign up. Um, just put your name under the April one instead of February 25th. There are a few of the youth, um, and one of the people who hosted are going to share a little bit just about their experience, a little testimony real quick, um, just so you, can guys, you guys can get a little better idea of what it is that we're doing. Um, so if you ladies would come on up, um, they're going to wrap up this part with sharing. Well, Bob and I uh, enjoyed the company of, I think we had four, maybe five, but uh, we had them come early and we had them prepare the meal with us. We had uh, Chinese food and so they did chopping and stir frying and they learned some things about cooking Chinese since Bob and I lived in China for a couple years. Uh, it was a beautiful night, so we ate on the back patio with chopsticks for a while. And uh, it was just fun to laugh and enjoy and just share stories, them share with us, us share with them. Uh, it really is, it does your heart good, so I encourage you. To David and Glenna's house, and we had some tacos and played a really fun board game. So I really enjoy having fellowship with our church. Um, I went to uh, Daryl and Donna's house with um, Sydney and Mackenzie, and we had mod pizza and played Farkle. And like Jeff was saying, it was really good just to get to know them because I knew their names and all, but 
um, I actually learned like what their jobs were, you know, just about their life. So it was good to get to know them. And I think that it's beneficial to have these get togethers like that. Um, I went to Eva and Raleigh's house with Ella and we had some African curry, which was really good. It was cool to try that. And then we played several different games that I hadn't played before. So that was a lot of fun. And I got to learn about them and hear their stories from Africa. So that was cool. It was just a lot of fun. If you'll pray with me. Dear Most Gracious Heavenly Father, again we come before you in your house and worship you and give praise to you through your music and our voices. And Lord, we want to thank you for all you do for us. You are God Almighty over everything. And we want to especially thank you for Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. And now, Lord, we want to take up our tithes and offerings in respect for you and to give back what you've given to us. In Christ's name, amen. stand and sing with us. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to Thank you. 
Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Everybody has trials and temptations. Everybody knows heartbreak, isolation. Yeah. 
turn to Philippians chapter 2. If you have a Bible or just with a swipe and a few touches of your phone, you can find your place there also. And um, we're going to continue on this morning looking at what we started last week, just the theme of the mind of Christ, that believers have the mind of Christ and God has given us the ability by the power of the Spirit to, to know His mind, to know His will, and to know His purposes. And we continue on. We looked in Corinthians last week. This morning we'll be in the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 2. So uh, just wanted to, to ask you, have you ever heard somebody say the phrase, great minds think alike? Now that's usually followed, you know, it's usually said because, you know, somebody in the room says something that you're thinking and you think it's a good idea. And, you know, it. It's sharing a similar thought and, you know, and sometimes, you know, I don't know, you know, it's something that's agreeable and, and usually everybody else thinks it's a good idea too. But I think you could also equally say it's true that, you know, not so great minds probably think a lot alike as well. But, but that's um, for another discussion in another time. But I would like to say this, that probably you could say that in the church, you know, it's the great minds that think like Christ. Because when his thoughts become our thoughts, you know, that's the point when great things begin to happen. Now, before you start imagining what kind of those great things might be, let's just remind ourselves of this. When Jesus spoke about greatness in the kingdom, in the church, he said that it came through a very unexpected source. He said greatness came through service and humility. And so today we're going to look at the mind of Christ, how it leads us to service. And when believers share in it together, there is this special bond or unity. And so I want us to just think about this as we look at the word together, that the mind of Christ empowers believers to live in unity with one another and to serve God with Humility. Now, our, our verses this morning are in Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to start reading there in verse 1, and then after I, I finish reading, we'll pray and we'll, we'll begin looking at the, the word together. Philippians 2 verse 1 says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. 
do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significantly than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, we are here this morning gathered in the name of Jesus, and it is our desire to bring glory to you as we look at your son Jesus. So I pray that you would help us to understand your word by opening up our minds, speaking to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us understand a little bit more this morning about what it means to have your mind, Lord Jesus, and how it transforms our lives, that it leads us to service and builds unity in the body. Lord, we trust you'll provide this help. We ask for it, and we know that you'll provide it. So help us to be willing participants with you and your spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's an outline in the center part of the bulletin. It gives you a a way to follow along, and there's three simple points. And the first thing we'll see as we continue on looking at the mind of Christ is that the mind of Christ is yours in Christ. Now we're going to start by looking at verse 5, and then we'll surround, we'll look at the surrounding verses and kind of explore those as we go along. But if you look there at verse 5, you have this command from Paul to the Philippians, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So there's a call to utilize something that has already been provided. Something that the Philippian Christians already possess. Here's the the truth, that there's an inward and present reality that happens when someone trusts on the name of Jesus. They are reborn in the image of Christ. They get the Holy Spirit. And when you get the Holy Spirit, when you have Jesus in your life, you get His mind. Filled with the Spirit, full of the Spirit, given the mind of Christ. Christ. And so you get it when you're saved, but the challenge as we go along is that we are supposed to be making progress toward maturity. And the way you do that is to persist in renewing your mind. And we'll look at that more next week when we look in in Romans 12. But there's this ongoing process of, of transformation that God works in us. It starts on the inside. It works over our heart and then shows on the outside. That over time, our thoughts begin to be more and more like His thoughts. But we have to really always understand that we have the mind of Christ. And our challenge as we walk with God in faith is over time to allow the mind of Christ to have more of us. 
So just following verse 5 is verse 6, which is not, um, shouldn't be a new revelation to you, but verse 6, verse 7, and verse 8, Paul begins to speak about Jesus. It's one of the most beautiful pictures of Jesus as the Savior that we have in all of Scripture. It connects Jesus to the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, the suffering servant that is mentioned in Isaiah, and we find that Jesus came to not be a conquering king who would overthrow the government, but yet a crucified king who would overthrow the power of sin and of Satan and who would reign forever as a resurrected Lord who ascended to heaven and is waiting the day when the Father says, come back. And at that point, everything will be made new. All things will be under his feet and his kingdom will be established here on earth as it is in heaven fully and forever. Jesus, when he came, would often refer to himself as the the son of man, speaking of his humility, and he would proclaim that he came to serve and not to be served. And so as you look at these verses, it paints a wonderful portrait of Jesus, and you can sum them up in just one word, and that word is servant. What kind of servant? Well, Jesus was the perfect servant. He was humble. He was self giving and he was obedient and Paul reminds us of all of these things and it's that mind that servant mind that humble obedient self-giving mind that Paul calls the Philippians to have this mind among yourselves the mind of Jesus the mind of a servant the humble self-giving obedient mind that desires above everything else to not please self but to please God and with this picture of the mind that we possess in front of us we can see how that that leads to connections between Christians as we're connected to Christ we're connected to one another and so we have this mind but Paul also reminds us that the mind of Christ does something unique and special it unites Christians Far beyond language, beyond preference, beyond um, you know, denominational affiliation. There is a unity among all those who are called by the name of Jesus. There is a unity. There is a mind that God has for all of us who would say that we are called by the name of Jesus. And in verse 2, it gives us these four phrases that all point to one central idea, the idea of being unified, and all of the the language there suggests that these should be continual, recurring, ongoing actions, that we can actually build deep and lasting connections to one another, because there's a bond that we have with Jesus that we can share with one another, because if we're connected to Christ, we can be connected to one another. We're unified in Christ by the Spirit. And you can see, as you, as you see things that happen when people work together in unison, that it can be very beautiful. It can be very helpful. A lot of things can be done. But while it's beneficial, we have to understand it doesn't just happen automatically. It's a work that starts on the inside in the heart. It provides us freedom and diversity 
to love one another, to live one another, live with one another, to be patient with one another. And all the while, we have a pressure from the outside that seeks to tear us apart. But we can't confuse unity with uniformity. That's when you get into the area of, of legalism or legalistic teaching where you know the, the guidelines say, okay, here it is. If you want to be like us, if you want to play in our sandbox and you need to believe this, you need to act like this, you need to talk like this, and you walk like this. And if you don't, well, then you know we won't have anything to do with you. But unity is saying, okay, we have a united bond in the person of Jesus. We believe that Jesus is the Savior. He is the only way to God, the only way to salvation. And we believe that salvation by faith is important. We believe God's Word is true. And we believe God has a plan and a purpose for every believer. And it doesn't really matter what initial you want to start a denomination with. If I can find somebody that believes those things, I can find a way to work with them, to be a brother or a sister to them, and to work with them in ministry. So it's not uniformity. We don't have to all look the same, dress the same, talk the same, act the same. But we do have an underlying unity that is in the common bond that we have of being in Christ. Because here's the, the truth. Rules don't bring Christians um, together. It's not a set of rules. But it's the relationship that we have with Christ that brings Christians together. It's a vital connection. And so with that in mind, he tells us that we should be of the same mind or have the same thought patterns. Literally, it says there to think the same thoughts. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to see every situation exactly the same way. There's certainly, even in Scripture, those points where the two people don't exactly see eye to eye about something. There's different perspectives. There's different backgrounds. But it also doesn't mean that we sacrifice the truth to make peace. We stand on the truth. We hold the truth to be most important. But it does mean that our minds are focused on the right things. And among that, viewpoints and methods can be different. Creativity is encouraged. But above all else, those main things have to remain the main things. The gospel message Salvation by faith in Christ, the truth of the Bible. Because when those things are in line, we can see heart to heart from a kingdom perspective, and we can agree on the principles and the purposes, and then we leave the unique methods and the unique um, strategies to individual churches. I don't get to visit a lot of churches because I'm here most often. But when I do, you know, one thing I do find is that there are churches that do things very differently than we do. You have bright lights. You have no lights. You have some music. You have a lot of music. You have, um, you know, different styles of preaching, different styles of teaching. You have different congregations that look very much differently. But the principles and the purposes are all the same. They are seeking to... Tell as many people about Jesus in the time that we have left to build the kingdom. And there is a unity in their purpose because their minds are focused in the same direction. So same mind, also the same love, having the same love. So it's 
the idea of holding on to and not letting go of a mutual love. Now, some other translations, some paraphrases that are not quite, you know, loose paraphrases, but give us some thought. Phillips tells us that it's the idea of living together in love. And Moffat, in his translation, says, you know, live with the same feelings of love. And so this same love, what love is this love that we're talking about? It's the love that God has first for us, and he says that because I love you first. You are to love one another. It's the love that Jesus said in John 13, 35, that it's this love that the world will know that you're my disciples, that if you love one another. It's a love that's not self-seeking. It's a love that checks the boxes of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It doesn't play favorites. It doesn't pick and choose who receives love. It gives and gives and gives and and seeks nothing in return, and it always seeks to serve and does not expect to be served. It's a wonderful picture of love. Earlier in Philippians, just the first chapter, verse 9, Paul prays that the love for the, of the Philippians will overflow more and more. Someone said once, and I think it's, it's appropriate, you know, is, you know, we can... You know, there are a lot of times that we may not do everything right, but you can never go wrong if you choose to to love. Choose to love. That's a motivation. You know, you might be a loving bonehead, but if your intent was to love and your actions were boneheaded, then, you know, people will see your heart and will forgive you. You know, you may have good intentions to warn a brother and sister, and you may lovingly speak, and all of a sudden you realize, okay, that was a little more harsh than I intended. There's grounds for forgiveness there because your motivation was love. You weren't trying to hurt the person. There's, you know, when we, when we do our best to seek God's word and, and find the truth there, we don't always get it right. Our interpretation sometimes is not always right. What we hear, what we see sometimes is clouded by our own perspectives and our own sin. And we may share that with another brother and sister in love. And then we come to realize later on, okay, wait a minute. Maybe that wasn't true. Maybe I messed up. Now, fundamental, you know, people, very, you know, staunch legalist people say, okay, we, then we just, boy, they're done. They messed up. They said something that was wrong. It was in error. And we're just not going to talk to them anymore. But if the motivation is love, and the heart is from a heart of love, then when that happens, you know, then the loving response back to them is, you know, brother or sister, you know, a while ago you told me this, and and it sounded good at the time, but then I started looking at it, really, I don't think it really matches up with God's Word in my life situation. And you 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 show, you err on the side of, of love, and as that love overflows, we can love each other, even though we don't always agree on things, and then we love the people around us, those that Jesus misses most. D.O. Moody, I love him. He's so practical. He was a pastor in the 1800s, started as a shoe salesman, led sidewalk Sunday school, reaching out to children, and, and grew a, just a thriving church in, in Chicago. And he says this, there's two ways that we can be united. One is by being frozen together. You can picture that, right? There's something you need to bust up and it's all 
frozen together. And the other is by being melted together. And he said what Christians need is to be united in brotherly love and then they can expect to have the power that God intends. Oh, that that same love would melt our hearts together. But then he goes on, all these sayings, he piles on one another, having the same spirit. It doesn't use the word same in the ESV, but it says, being in full accord and of one mind. Literally, it's one souled. It's the idea of everyone acting together because everybody is led by the same soul or the same spirit. Now, when I say soul, I'm talking about urgings and desires, motivations that move us forward. And in the church, we can have that wonderful unity, being of one mind as we seek God to reveal His will through the Spirit. And as the church responds in obedience, as we listen, as we hear, we move together in unity. There's no grumbling, there's no complaining, there's no dissent. Why? Because we've heard what God said to do, and we go do it. And it provides a harmony that's only possible by the Spirit. If you read through the book of Acts, you find this idea of one accord mentioned all through the book, whether in word or in in theme. And in Acts 4.32 it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. When we have that mind of Christ, that one heart, that one soul, we become a body of believers that just look to the Savior and say, Lord, what do you have for us? And that's the kind of unity that that God wants to build in in churches all across Johnson County, all across our, our nation, right here at Cross Timber, that all the members have this one heart, this one soul that is infused by the mind of Christ. Now, how does that happen? It's not because we have four or five really strong thinkers that really do a good job of thinking about the mind of Christ. No, here's how it happens when each person individually is seeking the mind of Christ. One of the most impactful studies I probably have have done in my life as a Christian is experiencing God by Henry Blackaby and learning how God speaks to members of the body, reveals things to members of the body, and then the body hears from one another, and when they begin to hear the same things when a person over here, a person there, a person there, a person, hey, I think God might be calling us to do this. Three or four people, then five or six people, and all of a sudden people start saying, yeah, this is what God has for us to do. And then we find out God's already at work. He starts calling us along in that direction, and then we move forward in that direction. And what's happened? We see God do what only He can do. That our hearts begin to overflow with the love that He pours into us by the power of His Spirit, that we're held together by a bond of love, a fellowship of the Spirit that is literally unbreakable in Christ. And we see that this fellowship, this special bond, can be strengthened over time. And in verses 3 and 4, Paul gives some just some wisdom, some practical things to tell us will help us to protect it and to build it. He says, you know, don't act with selfishness or pride. Don't put your own agendas ahead of everyone else's. Be humble. Think of others as better than yourself. And then, by the way, don't just look out for yourself. Look out for 
other people as well. Just kind of picture this. A.W. Tozer, in one of his many great books, The Pursuit of God, talks about a hundred pianos that are all tuned to the same pitchfork. And each one of those pianos is automatically tuned to one another because they're all tuned to the same standard, the same pitchfork. And he says they're in one accord, not to each other individually, but to a standard that each one of them has to submit to. And then he says, imagine a hundred worshipers, a hundred Christians, each in their own, looking to Christ in the morning, in the afternoon, in their quiet times, in their prayer times, in their Bibles. And you have hearts that can be nearer to one another than anyone could ever imagine possible. Not because they're trying to be like each other, but they're simply following after Jesus, seeking after his mind. It's not through team building or through anything like that. It's simply through seeking the mind of Christ because it unites believers. But also, and the last thing we have for today is that the mind of Christ commits to service. Service. We live in a me-first world. And when we hear the word service, we um, like to think of it in the terms of serve me. You know, where our personal preferences and comfort lead the way. Or questions or demands like, give me what I want, give it to me the way I want it, and give it to me um, when I want it. And you can certainly do this at Whataburger, but if you tell them exactly how you want it, you're going to pay like $22 for a hamburger, because they'll gladly add all that stuff on there. But in life, around us, us, when we are not careful, we are just by nature self-seeking. We will gladly put ourselves first just because that's the sinful nature that we have in us apart from Christ. And when you look around and you see that we live in a me-first world, and all of a sudden you observe a humble servant, it, it sticks out like a sore thumb from the crowd. You see, when we serve others, we look a lot like Jesus. Now, why would I say that? Well, Jesus, by his own admission, said he came to serve. It didn't come to be served. And these passages in Philippians share this wonderful truth that's at the heart of the gospel, that even though Jesus was God, he chose to put on human flesh and come to earth. We just got finished with, with Christmas a couple of months ago, and we, we celebrate that time of the incarnation, that there is Jesus in human flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's born in a manger in Bethlehem. So he puts on human flesh. He comes to earth, but at the same time, he is not one bit less God than he was before he came to earth. But because of his submission to the Father, he willingly sets aside the use of his rights and his privileges as God to become a servant who would become a sacrifice for sin. So Jesus was still God, but he had a human body, and he didn't come to earth to be this high and lofty king. He came to earth as a baby who lived 
to be a meek and lowly servant. Verse 7, Philippians 2, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on So if we ask the question, who's the greatest servant that ever lived? The answer better be Jesus, period, and stop there. Because he is the ultimate example of what it means to serve. His mind is the mind of a servant. He was God in human form, but at the same time he was humble, obedient, and self-giving. And when we look at his mind, we see the mind that we can have by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this verses 7 and 8 give us those three attributes that we'll look at briefly. Humility. It says, he humbled himself. And that word for humble means to bow down or to make low. It's an attitude word that speaks of choosing to place the interests and needs of others before yourself. But we also have to understand that, you know, there's also false humility and there's things that we think are humility but really aren't humility. Humility is not putting yourself down. It's not just, you know, picking yourself apart and, and saying all the things that are wrong about you. That's not humility. And it's, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's not, you know, self-deprecating. Many have said that it's simply thinking of yourself less. But you add to that, doing what you can to elevate others. So thinking of yourself less, so spending less time focusing on yourself, more time focusing on others. And the wonderful thing about that is if we trust God in the process of doing that, that as we are thinking about others, then God is taking care of us. It sure takes a lot of things off your schedule, you know, if you can eliminate a lot of the the worries and fretting by just trusting it to the Lord. Now, if we had time, we could probably all share stories, probably some quite humorous, about um, being humbled by a situation or a circumstance. But I want you to notice, don't miss, that here it says that Jesus humbled himself. It was a voluntary act. It was an act of love. It was the act that Paul, when he wrote to Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 8 9, said that yet for your sake he became poor, even though he was rich, so that you may, by his poverty, become rich. So the rich became poor, so the poor could become rich. That's what Jesus did for us, for you. And so... He was humble. And the other two attributes show how complete this self-humbling was because his obedience, becoming obedient. See, obedience is always the product of humility. But we have to also know that this word is much stronger than being a rule follower. You know, when you say, oh, you know, well, he was probably the the best child of the three because he was an obedient child or she's, you know, probably the most obedient child I've ever seen. You know, that's a level, but this is like a level above that. It means to totally be under the power, authority, and control of something or someone. 
perfectly pictured in Jesus because in humility, Jesus submitted to God and committed himself to do his will at every moment. He knew God's plan. God had his plan made before the world was created. It was set in God's plan that Jesus would come, that Jesus would die for the sins of the world. That he wouldn't stay there, he would be raised from the dead, he would ascend to heaven, he would return one day. And so Jesus, knowing what the plan of the Father was, chose obedience, an obedience that took him all the way to the cross. See, it was his choice. This obedience came from humility and it was also self-giving. How far was he obedient just to the point of death, even death on a cross? You know, the message of John 3.16 is so powerful and true that because of God's love, Jesus gave his own life for the sins of the world. Which, what does that mean? It means he took your punishment, he died in your place, that all the pain, all the suffering, all the humiliation that he endured on the cross was for cross, horrible, terrible way to die. The Roman execution method that they borrowed from others, but they perfected, that they reserved for the worst criminals, the lowest of the low in society. And the one who was humble, the one who was made low, was nailed to a cross. Now, have to be honest. Obedience is pretty easy if there's no real danger and there's no real cost, right? It's easy. It can even be fun to volunteer for those opportunities. If you sprinkle in a little sacrifice or add a little danger to the equation, the situation changes, all of a sudden it's not so fun. It's serious, and it becomes easy to try and bow out, to back off. But the point of these verses, all of these things compounded together, is that Jesus didn't bow out. He prayed in the the garden, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me three times. His human nature, all the, the things that we would think, and yet he said, not my will, but yours be. Jesus obeyed, even when it hurt, even when that obedience meant death. If you're if you're still open in Philippians, you can turn to First Peter, First John three, verse sixteen. In some ways, it's the companion to John three sixteen in the Gospel of John. But we find in these verses, you know, the standard that Jesus sets and the call that we have to action as believers in this humble obedient, self-giving mind. John writes, By this we know love, that he, speaking about Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So the standard, how do we know love? Jesus laid down his life for us. He gave it himself. And then the call to action on the other side of that is that we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 
humility and obedience. And Jesus to do what we would count as unbelievable and amazing through His great love. He would leave heaven. He would become a man like us. He would lay down His life for us. All for you and for me. That at our very worst, God gave Jesus His very best so that we could enjoy the very best of what we do not deserve, but God freely gives by His grace. Now by mission, verses 9-11 through 11 are wonderful, they're powerful, but we'll have to save those for another time. But just in summary, and I found this online, it's attributed to Anonymous, who if he were given copyright, um, rights would be wealthy beyond anyone in the world. Listen to this. Jesus humbled himself, yet God exalted him. Jesus didn't seek a name for himself. God gave him the name above all names. Jesus bent his knee to serve others. And God decrees that one day every knee will bow before him. That's the mind of a servant. That's the mind of Christ that empowers believers to live in unity with one another and to serve God with one. Let me just give you three things to kind of summarize what the mind of Christ looks like at work in us. It work first of all, sacrificial love. Love that hurts. Love that goes the extra mile. It's easy to love the people that we like, the people that are closest to us. The further we become distanced to others, the more difficult it becomes love. The more prickly the people become that are around us, the more challenging it becomes to love. But the call that we have all through the Bible is to love. And not just love when it's easy, but to love when it hurts and to love sacrificially. So sacrificial love. Humble service. Serving just because you can serve. Man, I just can't tell you um, how thankful I am for a group of men that have taken on a very um, lengthy, ever-growing list of items that need to be repaired, things that need to be fixed, and things that need to be done. And if you um, were here Friday or Thursday or even the whole week and you came today and you looked, before and after, you would see a number of wonderful things that are taking place, and those lists are um, being taken care of. They're not getting paid. They're they're not expecting any, um, you know, special recognition um, in return. But I do want to say thank you because little things may not seem like a big thing, but when you pile a lot of little things together, all of a sudden you got one big thing. And all those things are being taken care of. Humble service. The same thing can be true for us. We can't do everything. Nobody expects you to do everything. But just think about this this week. God, what can I do this week to humbly serve someone around me? God, what can I do to start displaying your sacrificial love? And then the final thing is unity. Think about that. That Tozer illustration, think about all our hearts being tuned to the Savior. That happens. It's unity of mind and purpose and direction and great things 
begin to happen. Because I'll say it again. You know, I said earlier, great minds think alike. Then I said great minds think like Christ. But I think really we should probably say a servant's mind thinks like Christ. As we look up to Jesus, we don't look down on others. We don't stop thinking about ourselves, but we think about ourselves less and more about others. And given the opportunity, we choose to love, we choose to serve, over being served. Another great minister of another time was F.B. Meyer. I want to share just a, a brief little bit, a couple of paragraphs that he wrote um, along these lines of humility, service. And F.B. Meyer wrote this. I used to think that God's gifts were shelves one above the other. And the taller we grew in Christian character, the more easily we could reach them. So he's talking about the idea that there was some sort of top shelf you know, Christianity. But now he says, I now find that God's gifts are on shelves one beneath the other. And it's not a question of growing taller, but of stooping down lower. Lord, grant us insight into your mind that we know we have. That we would walk in humility. That we would walk in obedience. That we would walk in self-giving love. And that we would walk in unity. Show us constantly what it means to walk after Jesus, knowing that we don't have to do it perfectly, but that we do have a perfect Savior. Knowing that we will make mistakes, but we have one who cleanses and forgives when we confess. Help us to see that we are needy, but you have all that we need. And Lord, as we've looked at these verses, show us ourselves, show us the Savior, show us, oh God, what only you can do when we put our trust in you. We thank you, Lord, and we pray in your wonderful Worship team is going to play some music in just a moment. Um, just a couple of things to uh, to think about. I always like to remind that you know that the starting place to be a servant is to submit yourself to the Lord Jesus. Otherwise, you're just serving in your own strength and your own power, doing the best you can maybe doing a lot of good things, maybe helping a lot of people. But until we make that decision, until we say, Jesus, I am yours and you are mine. Well, that's the launching spot, the, the wonderful opportunity that we have to jump off of the, the diving board of life into the abundant life that Jesus has for us. And so that's the step number one of servant living is to submit ourselves to Jesus, the humble servant. And then we start to recognize over time that our love doesn't look a lot like his, but it can look a lot more like his. And we trust our love to him. We start seeing that our service today is a little less self-serving than it was the day before. 
that while we wanted recognition and praise, now we don't want it as much and we become more humble. And while we may have started out the journey with the Lord thinking it's all about me, I want what I want when I want it, that we start looking out for the interests of others and putting others above ourselves and we become part of a body, a fellowship where God begins to bring unity where hearts are tuned to the same. And we start realizing that way less about trying to reach up to that top shelf, grab something bigger and better. It's about just getting down on our knees, submitting to the Lord and being a servant. Trusting Him to grow His character in, in us and finding the gifts and the treasures that He has waiting for those that we seek. We're going to take some time to listen to the Lord as the music plays quietly. Today you want to put your trust in Jesus and and serve him. That's a great day. Today is the day of salvation. There's no need to wait. If it's just bowing down and saying, Lord, I know that I have your mind, but boy, I'm not really that humble. I'm not nearly as obedient. And when it comes to serving, I'd just rather let somebody else do it. And maybe in that honesty, you just confess that to the Lord and allow him to, to begin to work and to trust. Or maybe you just want to pray for unity. Unity among people in our church, that God will unite our hearts together. Unity among, you know, denominations that that other that churches would cooperate, that would work together around the good news, the truth of the gospel, and unity for the church around the world. Because there's a lot of work left to do, and the time that we have is shorter by the day. Maybe there's a burden on your heart, you just want to lay it before the Lord, and you can do that certainly. Whether you're sitting where you are, or you can come to the front and kneel. We're going to play the music and then just trust the Lord to speak and you respond. privilege worshiping with you this morning, singing together, hearing from God's Word. And I just thank you for being here. Your presence is important.
whether you're a visitor, whether you're here for the first time, or the however many hundredth time, it's good to see you. We're glad you're here. Let me remind you of two um, things briefly before we stand and sing, and you will be dismissed, and I'm sure some of you are ready to go to lunch. First thing, um, as Jeff shared earlier, um, take opportunity to sign up um, to host some of the students in your home. It's a wonderful opportunity to um, make connections across generations, to enjoy um, some fellowship, and I guarantee you there will be there will be laughter and there will be excitement in your home. So sign up for that. And if it, um, you know, if, if you think February 25th might work, and there's already four names, write your name there because you know if something happens and there's a scheduling, you know, challenge somebody else, your name may come up. Um, if it's just something you're ready for later in the year, be sure and sign up for that that later time. But be sign up for that and and be a part of that. I think it's a wonderful opportunity. I'm thankful for the the groundwork that's been laid there, and look forward to see what God will do in that. Second thing is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Valentine banquet, Valentine party is next Sunday, five o'clock here at the church. Um, just some disclaimer, just to let you know, it is for everyone. Um, the focus of that is the love of God. So, um, gentlemen, if you are if you're looking for that romantic Valentine's moment, um, you better schedule it for Monday um, or Tuesday or Wednesday or sometime. Um, this, um, unless you're just one of those people that it's romantic wherever you go. Um, you know, but just to tell you that, that it's for everyone. It's going to be fun. It's going to be family. You're going to laugh. We're going to have a good time. we got a bunch of soup lined up. There's going to be salad. There's going to be desserts. Um, starts at 5. We'll be done by 7. It's a great time, and, um, and you won't be disappointed. So make plans um, to be. I want to invite you to stand um, together. We're going to sing, and after we sing, you are dismissed. What a friend we have in Jesus.